Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good to see you. Great job, guys. Sounded great. Now, I have one thing that's been on my mind, and it's been driving me crazy. I need your help. Is it Yanny or is it Laurel? It's both? If, uh, if you're like, I have no idea what that is, I just showed you my age. Or you showed me your age, I don't know. Uh, but my name is Kyle, I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church. I'm actually the Worship and Connections pastor. Uh, excited that I get to be with you this morning. Pastor Jeremy is away. And uh, we've been in this series uh, called Heaven. And so I'm excited that I get to continue in this series. I'm going to be talking about worship in heaven. A few weeks ago, I asked Jeremy if I could do that when I found out I was preaching, and he thought that'd be a good idea. Um, throughout this series, we've been able to uh, text in our questions. And so there's a number on the screen. It's going to be on the slide. So I'm excited about being here and doing this here. So I wanted to preach on worship in heaven mainly because I had a lot of questions myself about it. Um, you know, I, I've been to different churches in the south where they do, you know, southern gospel music. I've been uh, churches up uh, here in Wisconsin. I did a, a, a church that did bluegrass hymns. And so I started thinking, well, what is worship going to be like in heaven when you have all these different things, all these different preferences? What's it going to sound like? We have all these different cultures that are going to be up in heaven. And so I wanted to do some research and, and study the scriptures and, and find out. And so if you've grown up in the church, uh, you might have uh, some experience or any experience with the church. Um, you might have wondered what worship in heaven will be like as well. And uh, some of the questions you might have is, is, is worship in heaven just a bunch of singing, like nonstop singing? Will it be like a, a huge musical, like the sound of musical, jumping from one cloud to the next cloud just singing, you know? Or is it going to be like a, a never-ending church service? So have anyone ever thought, th thought about that? You're like, so it's like, no, I've already experienced that here at Faith. <laughs> never-ending church service. <laughs> uh, well, I hope we can unpack some things, dive into the scriptures. Um, but before I do that, let's just pray together. So. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you uh, for this opportunity to um, share what you've laid on, on my heart, Lord. Um, I just ask that you prepare our hearts for uh, what you want us to receive this morning. We thank you for worship. Um, you alone are worthy of our praise, Lord, and, and we glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to spend some time in Revelation uh, chapter 4 um, because it gives us a glimpse of what worship in heaven is like. Uh, most people would agree that John wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, some call it Revelation to John. Uh, it's Revelation of Jesus Christ to John. John was one of the disciples. He wrote one of the Gospels, and it's incredible that God chose John to reveal some things to him. So the book of Revelation is a description of Jesus' second coming, uh, uh, mainly to judge the earth. And we know that Jesus came the first time to save the earth, right? That's when he died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. But Revelation is mainly about things to come. Uh, Revelation 1.19 it says this, right therefore, this is um, God telling John what to do. He's kind of given him, an, given him an outline. It says, right therefore, what you have seen. And that's the, the beginning of chapter, what? chapter one, things that have already, um, what he's already laid forth. And then what is now, 
Um, that's what's currently going on in, in, in John's day and age. And so um, some of you know that he wrote the seven letters uh, to the early church. And then it goes on to say, and what will take place later. So write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And that's where we're going to spend some time in, the, in the things that will happen later, because God is going to reveal some things in the future, and he reveals and gives us the glimpse of what worship will be like, and John is just supposed to write it all down. He's supposed to take it all in. So John gets done writing those seven letters, and uh, we start in Revelation 4, 1 through 3. And by the way, I'll have the scriptures up on the screens, but um, uh, there's Bibles underneath the chairs if you want to follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you can take that one. You can keep it. Um, it's our gift to you, but we'd, we'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, but Revelation 4, 1 through 3 says this. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. This is John describing what he's seeing. And the first voice, which I heard speak to, speaking to me like a trumpet, said this. This is God's voice. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. God is sitting on the throne, the creator of the universe. And John finds himself in the presence of God in the heavenly throne room immediately. In the blink of an eye, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 52 says this, uh, it will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. It's talking about in a blink of an eye, and this is what I believe it happened to John. He found himself in the spirit immediately. A human eye blinks in about one-tenth of a second, so that's a, a little bit of info there for you. I didn't know that, um, but immediately. It's going to be quick. So John finds himself in heaven. He starts doing what God told him to do. He starts writing down what he sees. He starts to describe the things that are going on around him. And he says on, if we continue, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Sardius. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And he starts to describe the colors of heaven. Now, if I were to ask somebody on the street uh, what the color of heaven uh, is, they'd probably respond with what? White. White, yeah, white clouds, probably uh, white, white beard. Um, but that's not what he sees. That's not what John sees. It says, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper. Now, I have something cool to show you guys. It came from the Rar West Museum. I stole it last night. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, but jasper is a crystal clear, transparent stone thought to be a high-grade diamond without blemish. And it's a fitting symbol to tell forth the glory of God. So I'm going to reveal what I have here, and Charlie's going to shine some lights on it. What I have here is, is colored glass, and so I thought it, it, it represented jasper pretty, uh, pretty well because it reflects everything, um, but like I said, it came from the War West Museum. It's from the early 1900s. Um, they told me it's pretty hard to find in the U.S. anymore. Um, it, it, what they said is that it came from 
a, a glass factory. It's end pieces from whatever the glass factory was making, and they would chisel it, polish it, and then boom, it's a piece of art. Um, and so they were telling me that the, the price on these things have risen um, by 40% in the last three years. So who knew? But Jasper reminds me, crystal clear, transparent. And then scriptures also say um, that John sees uh, sardius. Sardius is a ruby stone, blood red. Um, and then all the colors of the rainbow around the throne. And uh, what I find interesting is this rainbow is a complete circle that encircles the throne. It's not the, the half rainbows that we usually see after a storm. But that represents God's goodness and faithfulness and uh, his covenant and all his promises that he will be faithful towards. And then it goes on to say, it had the appearance of emerald, um, beautiful, refreshing green representing God's goodness in nature. You know, I, I remember the movie The Wizard of Oz. They talk about this uh, city that they're looking forward to go to. What is it called? Emerald City. Right. Beautiful. And I think what John is trying to do here, John is trying to find earthly things to describe what's going on in heaven and what he's seeing. He's picking the most incredible, valuable, intense, and vibrant things that he can compare it to. And I'm sure it doesn't do its justice. But we get this idea that heaven is, is colorful. It's vibrant. It's beautiful. If we continue to read Revelation 4, 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. The 24 elders. Now, now the, the Greek word for elders is presbyterios, and the word Presbyterian comes from that, and, and that reminds me of a story of a, a young girl who was in her Sunday school class, and uh, she got home, and her mom asked her what she learned, and she's like, Mom, we talked about heaven, and, and the, her, the mom was like, well, what, what can you tell me? She said, well, there's only going to be 24 Presbyterians up there. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the elders are representatives. Uh, Israel had elders. Uh, the early church had elders appointed to it. Uh, here at Faith Church, we have elders um, that represent uh, us as the congregation. And the 24 elders um, in scriptures here represent the church from Pentecost to the rapture. The elders represent us as God's people. And so I think dogmatically we can agree that uh, the church is up in heaven. This is we're seeing the church in heaven. So he sees lightning, he hears rumblings and pews of thunder coming to the throne. You know, the last storm we had in Manitowoc um, shook my house. <laughs> it was a big storm. It woke up uh, my daughter, Mara, and, and, you know, of course she was nervous, so she came and, and uh, came into our room and wanted to sleep with us. And I, you know, I never knew someone so small could take up that much room in the bed. <laughs> so not looking forward to that again. Uh, but... You know, it's, it's, it was explosive. It shook my house. And um, something inside me always gets a, a little nervous but also excited when there's a big storm um, because it reminds me of how powerful God is. It's loud. It's explosive. You know, these rumblings and lightning represent a storm 
that is coming. It, it's, it's God's righteous judgment that needs to happen um, on our earth. You know, I think we all would agree that um, our earth is not the way it should be. There's, there's sin in it. It's broken. And uh, God is going to make it all right once and for all. But there's this storm coming, and it's this righteous judgment that's going to happen. But I really think looking at all these things, we have the colors and everything that's going on, that, with, that heaven is going to be in an exciting place. It's going to be colorful, and I have a feeling it's going to be loud and passionate. You know, all uh, in Revelation, um, we see John describe voices like trumpet, and then later he describes um, angels proclaiming in a loud voice, and in Revelation 5, it talks about uh, 10,000 angels times 10,000 angels all proclaiming. What's 10,000 times 10,000? Math, math people. 100 million. 100 million angels. I hope I got my math right on that. <laughs> but 100 million angels all proclaiming at the same time. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Can you imagine 100 million angels proclaiming that in a loud voice? I thought Lambeau Field was loud. And what, they have 75, 76? I don't know how many they can hold. The last time I was there, it was about 76,000. It was loud. And one thing I, I, I can tell you that probably won't happen when we're in heaven and these 100 million angels start proclaiming in a loud voice. We're not going to go up there and say, um, God, can, can you turn that down a little bit? Just turn it down just a little bit. It's too loud. But you know, we say this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how should worship be here on earth? It should be heartfelt, it should be true, proclaiming God's worthiness, and I think it should be loud and passionate. <laughs> Revelation 4 says this, and, and therefore the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there, wa there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, uses the number seven to refer to perfection and completion. So if that is the meaning of the seven and the seven spirits, then it's not referring to seven different spirits of God, but it's rather the perfect and complete Holy Spirit. If we continue, it says, and before and around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, check this out, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. They keep on saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Now these living creatures are, are spectacular angelic beings. Um, these creatures resemble the cherubim found in Ezekiel, the seraphim found in uh, Isaiah. And, you know, I was doing a lot of research because I was trying to figure out uh, the meaning behind all the faces, and I was like, what is John trying to describe? What does it all mean? Are, are they symbolic? Are they real? What is it? And, um, you know, you can look up different commentaries of different theologians that will um, give you their take on it.
But I finally came to the conclusion, I think it's safe for us to agree too here, that these are just super intelligent angelic beings that were created by God for the purpose of worshiping God, and they do so without ceasing. They keep on saying over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. These creatures are designed for worship. If we go on, it says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying this, worthy are you, Lord, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Reminds me, you know, when we join in singing here at Faith Church, we can automatically encourage others to join in worship just by entering in the worship ourselves. You know, we see these living creatures start to worship, and then it calls the 24 elders start to worship. I imagine it being like a chain reaction where then everyone is worshiping God. You know, I've told my worship team before um, that they're all worship leaders, right? It doesn't matter if you're on the drums, you're on the keyboard, guitar, bass, or you're back running tech or running slides. You are lead worshipers, worship leaders. And if the congregation sees you worshiping, hopefully they will follow your example and enter into worship as well. And I love it because this is the first great worship scene we see in heaven. And what we see being demonstrated is a continual act of worship. Praise and adoration are the eternal activity of God's creatures in heaven. The created worships the creator. And all the songs that are being sung and the things that are being said are all God-focused and about him. Worship is the activity of heaven. Worship is the activity of heaven. So may I be asking here, will we always be engaged in worship in heaven? And I would say that depends on your view of worship. If you relate to worship to what we do here on a Sunday morning, I mean, it, it, it's four songs, and then we leave, then the answer is no, that's, that's not all we're going to be doing. But if you believe that worship is more than just singing a few songs once a week and it actually encompasses your whole life, everything you do, then the answer is yes. We'll always be engaged in the activity of worship in heaven. And we'll be doing other things. Um, we won't just be singing the whole time, but everything will be considered worship on the God. I know Pastor Jeremy has talked about a few of these things that we're going to be doing in this series, and there's some more things that he's going to be uh, talking about. But scriptures say that we'll be eating and drinking, reigning with Christ. We're going to be learning, traveling, spending time with other people, um, being reunited with loved ones. That's one thing that I'm really looking forward to um, is, is meeting uh, friends and family that have gone before and being reunited with them. I look forward to meeting um, Bible heroes that the Bible talks about, David and all those guys, Moses. I think it's just going to be an incredible time of, of, of learning. I love to learn. And then, yeah, scriptures tell us about gathering at feasts, and I love to eat 
And so I'm excited about that. Pastor Jeremy's going to talk about um, uh, the big wedding feast that's going to happen um, in a couple of weeks. But all of this is going to be an act of worship. You know, Randy Alcorn, uh, he wrote a book called Heaven. And I like what he has to say. He says this, I often worship God while reading a book, riding a bike, or, or taking a walk. I'm worshiping, worshiping, worshiping him now as I write, he says. Yet too often I'm distracted and fail to acknowledge God along the way. In heaven, God will always be first in my thinking. You know, there's, there's many mornings where I'll, I'll wake up and, it, and the sun is shining, it's beautiful, and I'll be like, oh, praise God for this beautiful weather. Or I'll have something that's amazing to eat, and I'm like, oh, praise God for taste buds. But there's some mornings that I wake up, and I'm experiencing God's goodness, but I fail to worship him through it, right? I get busy, or, you know, I'm, I'm focused on other things. But in heaven, God will always be first in our thinking, and we'll be able to give him glory and praise that he deserves. And all these are our foretastes of heaven, these things that we experience on earth that are, are good, are from God, these are foretastes of heaven. Now, I know there will be some aspects of worship that are, that are important that we continue to do here on earth, but they're going to be different in heaven. And one of those is the, the confession of sin. So we all know that we've all rebelled and, and, and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23 says that. And our world has fallen. And we all know that there will be an age to come that will feature the unhindered reign of Christ, a reign without brokenness and sin. Now, Jesus' redemptive uh, reign has already begun, uh, meaning that when Jesus first came, he purchased safety for us by dying on the cross, right? Uh, safety from that judgment, um, that, that storm that's coming, safety from that judgment that will eventually come. Scriptures tell us that will happen. But at his second coming, when he comes back, he will provide that purchase safety to us from that judgment. Does that make sense? Hebrews 9.28 says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, but not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So worshiping here on earth at this time means confessing our remaining sin and the effects that sin has on our lives. You know, I like to relate it to washing the dishes. I hate washing the dishes. My wife doesn't like washing dishes either. And uh, we don't just get to do them once and they'll be done, right? Because the next day there's more dirty dishes in the sink. But in heaven, we will worship with the final freedom from sin's presence. And that's going to be glorious. In heaven, we will worship with the final freedom from sin's presence. Another idea, or not an idea, another area that will be different with our worship is a mission to the lost. John Piper says this, mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not mission. Because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. 
You know, right now we have so many people in our world that don't know Jesus or, or they fail to recognize him or, or recognize God and give him the glory that he deserves. But after Christ's second coming, when he comes back, no one will be pursuing missions to the lost people um, because everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. It talks about that in Isaiah 45 when, it, when God says this, I have sworn by my own name, <laughs> on his own name, there's no higher name to swear on than God's name. And he's the only one that can do it. Um, it says, I have spoken truth, and I will never go back on my word. And that's God saying this. Every knee will bend to me. Every tongue will declare allegiance to me. Every tongue will confess. You know, one guy that, that comes to mind um, that had a heart for missions and, and was on mission for the lost was Billy Graham. You know, many of us here have, have heard of Billy Graham. He recently passed away this year this year, not too long ago, actually. But Billy Graham led these huge revival, um, these crusade, crusades where thousands of people um, would come and give their life to Christ. Um, and he had a worship uh, pastor, a song leader that would, that would go with him wherever he went. Um, his name was Cliff Barrows. Um, and I think that just goes to show that every great pastor has a worship, great worship pastor behind him. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> But anyway, Cliff Barrows, uh, Billy Graham's song leader, um, once joked around with Billy Graham. He said this, you know, when we get to heaven, you're going to be out of a job. He told Billy Graham that. But then he said, George Beverly Shea and I won't. George Beverly Shea was another singer that sang with Cliff. He said, he said this, George Beverly Shea and I are going to keep on singing. We're singing now, we're going to keep on singing. And then Billy Graham, he paused for a moment. He said this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to sing like George Beverly Shea. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, there won't be a mission for the lost. But one of the ways we can worship here on earth, worship the Lord on earth, is to follow his commandment to tell others about him. That's the great commission. And to call on God, and call on God to reveal his salvation to the nations, which he will. Isaiah 52.10 says this, the Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. Our current worship celebrates Christ's victory on the cross. and We don't have to spend eternity away from him. He made a way for us to be with him forever. Praise the, praise the Lord for that. And our job is to share this. But when we finally get to heaven... We're going to celebrate Christ's redemptive work in drawing his church to himself. When we get to heaven, the effects of sin will be no more. No more brokenness, no more evil, no more corruption, and no more death. This is your last fill in the blank. When we get to heaven, we will celebrate Christ's redemptive work in drawing his church to himself. We all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And that's what is truly going to be the highlight of heaven, seeing Jesus face to face. Until then, let's stand, and we're going to join in worship together as the worship team comes out. We're going to join in saying what the angels are singing right now.
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Let's continue worshiping together. Thank you. 